I'm Mark Gagan, and you're listening to The Voice of Insurance, produced in association with Advantage Go. Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform. Parametric insurance has been with us for quite a while now, so it's an idea that most of us have become familiar with. We can all see its advantages, particularly when it comes to almost instantaneous claims payments with practically zero adjustment cost. But until recently, it has been a hyper-specialist corner of the market, often restricted to very large, very high-value contracts such as cat bonds. Only recently has it started to venture into the mainstream. This is because it is only now that the cost of technology has come down significantly enough and the availability of accurate information sources has become wide enough to make these often bespoke products relevant at the commercial lines and even personal lines levels. There are lots of small, specialist parametric players out there, but today's guests have seen this opportunity and really grabbed it with both hands. Tongi Tufu, CEO and co-founder, and Violaine Rebo, Head of Business Development at parametric specialist MGA Descartes Underwriting, don't do anything by half measures. And the business comes fresh from an eye-popping $120 million fundraise. But that $120 million is not for capital to underwrite with. It is for an enormous investment in people, technology, and global locations. And that's why I asked them to come on the show. Because for an investment of this size to work, the opportunity will have to be of the once-in-a-lifetime sort. Tongi and Violaine clearly believe so. And it is great to hear such passion about the prospects for the application of parametric solutions in a vast global market like commercial lines. Listen on for a remarkable story. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Rick J. Lindsay, Chairman and CEO of Claims Direct Access, otherwise known as CDA. We all read about the claims nightmares in the United States of America, social inflation, nuclear verdicts, and the sky is falling. Hardly a day goes by without the news of reserve strengthening at major carriers. However, it's not all bad news. In the United States of America, we have the best legal system in the world, which allows you to fight frivolous claims and litigation and come out on top. In this kind of environment, you must get smarter about how you handle your claims and who your partners are. You have to move fast and be robust. CDA has been handling claims for over 40 years nationwide and has a team of 46 claims professionals, including 12 highly skilled attorneys and litigators. We have handled cases for major Lloyd syndicates since 1994, as well as U.S.-based major carriers, and have closed over 70,000 claims since 1994 nationwide. Not settling frivolous litigations is a must. CDA Claim Service means going the extra mile, handling claims quickly and vigorously with a proactive approach. Why not get in contact now to see how CDA can do the same amazing work for you and your partners that they do for me every day? Visit www.claimsdirectaccess.com today. Tongi and Violaine, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Thank you, Mark. Thank Good you. to see you. Great to see you. Well, Descartes, tell us all about how you came up with the idea to form this business and describe the Descartes mission to me. Sure. So I think it has been a long process. The founders come from the insurance and reinsurance industry. And I think we are a bit frustrated by uh, all the inefficiencies in our space. 
And we wanted to tackle two challenges. So the first one is climate change. So definitely Descartes is willing to innovate in the face of climate change. It's one of the key challenges for insurers and reinsurers in the next decades. And we think that, uh, of course, the claim ratio will go up. There are more and more floods, wildfires, cyclones across the world. And at the same time, the second challenge is the fact that I would say the, the corporate insurance market is not fit for purpose. So typically, when we have a claim, it takes, for example, in the USA, 550 days to process it. We know that the expense ratio is quite high. So definitely, when we, you give 100 to your insurer, you get 70% in return. And this is something that we need to improve. And transparency is also something that is a big issue in the insurance space. It was amplified by COVID-19 and the fact that people were covered against epidemics and not pandemics, and they suffered from heavy losses. So we wanted to improve that. And definitely, Descartes was born out of this rational. Should we always think of you as a parametric insurer? Is that the first thing we should think of? I think so. But for us, parametric is just a means, not an end. So we think that there's a good match between parametric and new technologies. And if we talk about swift claims payment, parametric is the way to go. Uh, if we think about reducing the, the claims handling cost, we also think that parametric is uh, the best approach. But for us, again, it's more a tool. It's more a way to improve insurance. We do not do parametric because we love the concept of the world. It's really for the product features that we can create thanks to a parametric approach. And just to give us an idea, how long have you been in existence? And what sort of GWP are you handling? Descartes was created three years ago. Last year, we reached more than 50 million GWP. We expect to be... Oh, and what currency is that? Uh, USD. Yeah. Uh, we expect to double that at least this year. And let's say in the next five years, we want to be well above half a billion. So we want to become uh, in the long term a significant player in the corporate insurance market, thanks also to our partners. What really got Descartes onto my radar, and probably the reason why I've asked you to be on the show, was a fantastically large and eye-catching capital raise. Yeah, obviously, people can check that out. I'll put that in the notes. But what are you going to invest this money in? Because I don't think this is money that you need, obviously, to build a balance sheet. This is money to develop in your people and your technology, isn't it? Yes. For us, when we talk about technology, it's really about people, software engineers, DevOps, data scientists. That's definitely one of the key spaces in which we have to invest. The second one is our global footprint. So we are working with brokers, but our end clients are large corporations, multinationals. So they operate in North America, in Europe, in Asia, in many different countries. And we need to have a global reach. So right now we have offices in the USA, in Denver, Houston, New York. We have an office in London. We plan to open Madrid also and some in a city in Germany. We don't know exactly where at this stage. And in Asia, we already have two offices, one in Singapore and one in Australia. And Hong Kong should be uh, up and running probably in Q2, at the end of Q2, so by the end of June. It's interesting, you know, in a very technological business, I presume a lot of your money is going to go towards building that platform, that technology, you know, where you can model and when you can create parameters by which to ensure things. But it's interesting that you want this proximity, actual physical proximity to customers. Who is the customer there? Do you want to be close to a place where there are lots of risk managers? Or is it a place where there are lots of brokers? Or both? 
Yeah, I think the short answer is both. So we insure mid to large corporates against climate risks. And this market is, of course, intermediated via brokers. Brokers play a key role in designing the right covers for the large corporates. And we are talking about very large capacities. We offer up to $200 million per contract. So in those kind of transactions, the people-to-people relationship is really important. That's why it's really key for us to be close to our broker partners everywhere in the world. And it's important for you to be comfortable with the customer, or is it also for the customer to be comfortable with you? I think it goes both ways, uh, obviously, and uh, a strong element as well in understanding the risk of our clients and uh, in demonstrating that we are building the right cover for them. So this is a very personal relationship. And of course, trust is paramount in building those relationships. With this big investment, obviously, you can spend it on a lot of technology. Are you the sort of business that wants to source a lot of its own proprietary data? Or should we see you more as a platform business that is going to be there to ingest multiple sources of data from third parties? How do you view that? Do you view that you should have some of your own data or are you more agnostic and actually prefer to deal only with third party data? We do use a lot of data. We use on average 1 million times more data than a traditional player to uh, ensure the same risk. We do that through all sorts of data, satellite data, radar data, on-site data, official data from uh, third-party agencies. The key element and one of the key features of our products are that they should be transparent and objective. So it's really key that the data source has to be a third-party data source. It's key to building the trust that's paramount in corporate insurance and to ensuring brokers and corporate clients that there is no conflict of interest. If we were the ones sourcing the data and the ones using those data to pay a claim, of course, there would be a a massive conflict of interest. So we use third-party data. A large part of our role, especially in R&D, is to find the right partners, the most advanced firms operating the best satellites and the best radars in the world in order to be able to offer the best covers. But it will always remain something that we do in partnership with third-party providers. So it's about that transparency that your client can see the data. You know, they can subscribe to the same data feed that you've got. And you can see, you can both agree that whatever you've decided has happened has happened. Absolutely. Data is always shared in a transparent and objective manner. And that's really at the foundation of the products we offer. We've mentioned that this money you've raised is for developing your own business. We're in an age now, there are a lot of MGAs emerging, certainly as we had a harder market over the last couple of years, that have wanted to source their own capital. Would that be something that you're aspiring to one day, or are you ruling it out? Would you rather just stay an MGA? It's not our intention in the short term to become a a full-stack insurer, but definitely we want to... um, I would say disrupt different links of the value chain. We think that we can do much better, for example, in terms of policy issuing. We think that the claim payment should be the best potential experience for our customers. So we will be looking for applications of new technologies across the entire sector. The only thing that we won't touch and we won't change, of course, is distribution. We only want to work with brokers and we think that the added value of brokers is huge in the corporate segment. And we can see, for example, the different trends when we look at insurers versus brokers. The brokers are definitely growing well and in a profitable manner, whereas insurers are struggling. And so 
you don't have that intention, but do you think it, it's down to the insurers to make sure that they can sign up to this presumably speedier way of settling claims? Would you only really seek to build your own balance sheet if you felt that you couldn't get the service that you get from insurers, from carriers? It's an option. I think uh, we work with uh, our existing partners to improve on a daily basis our processes. If at some point in time, it's much better for brokers and clients to become, let's say, a, a bit more uh, closer to a, a full stack model, this is something that we can uh, envisage for sure. But it will be in partnership also with our existing uh, partners and uh, it will be only in the interest of, of our clients. Because presumably you have quite a lot of partners. If you'll be able to put out sort of $200 million lines, you must have presumably quite a lot more than one. Yes, I mean... It's true that in the corporate segment, you have to offer large capacities because your clients are Fortune 500 companies and they require to be covered across many sites and for usually big amounts. And uh, being able to split the capacity within a relatively large panel with reinsurers from North America, Europe and Asia is a powerful, I would say, tool to compete in our market. So yes, we have a number of key reinsurers and insurers to back us. It's really interesting your stress on really wanting to deal with brokers. What is the nature of the value add of brokers? Is it really explaining what is a complicated product to the client? Is that one of the main things? Or they're really selling that new concept to the client. Also, is it a protection against a misunderstanding of the client, particularly with things like basis risk, that kind of thing? Well, the corporate world, the corporate insurance world is going through what we call a hard cycle, meaning that capacities are shrinking from traditional players and prices are going upwards, mostly under the pressure of natural events. That is, of course, putting pressure on the, the balance sheet of traditional players. The strong added value from brokers in that environment is to be able to identify what is the most suited cover for corporates in that hard market environment in order to optimize their programs. So they have to identify among all possible offers what's the best alternative to traditional covers today in order to optimize the premium they pay and the capacities they have access to. So it's a very thorough work and it requires a strong knowledge of what alternatives exist and parametric insurance for natural risks is the main alternative for natural risks. So the role of brokers today until now has been to advise corporate clients to replace traditional natural risk covers in their existing programs with parametric natural risk covers. So this requires a lot of work in order to ensure there is a continuity in the guarantees and a right fit between the cover that's put in place and the corporate's exposures. And would you say that your parametric offering is less prone to cyclicality and emotion in the way that the traditional insurance market can be? When we have these hard markets, people give up certain categories, they become scared, become greedy sometimes, and become scared at other times. I presume with your offering, you're saying, well, the numbers are the numbers, and so I'm unemotional. Is that one of the attractions you think of parametric generally? It is much more objective and it is much more transparent. It's also much more collaborative in the sense that we never impose a structure. We always build our parametric structures hand in hand with the broker and the client. So in the way it's designed, yes, it's much more objective. It's much more transparent and it's really based on data. 
we can always find a way to optimize a client's program and keep him covered with better conditions. And within corporate, are you really looking at the higher end of the corporate, the bigger corporate, and therefore the most sophisticated buyers? Is that out of choice? We don't only cover very large corporates. We cover from middle markets to large corporates. In fact, being exposed to natural risks and sometimes very exposed to natural risk is not a feature that only large corporates have. Sometimes you can have a single hotel on the shore that's highly exposed to flood. You can have a single vineyard that's highly exposed to hail or to frost. So the size of the client is not always a good indicator for how much he's exposed to natural risk. So no, we do go below large corporates. And the question is more how exposed those clients are to natural risks. I was going to ask you, obviously, parametric insurance is about parameters. And when we tend to think about it, we think about natural perils, elemental perils, you know, water, wind, fire, drought, etc., and earthquake, of course. But should we think of it, always think of you in the terms of natural perils, or are there other perils that are you agnostic about parameters in general? If you can get a reliable data feed on anything, would you ensure that? It's true that today's priority is really to uh, innovate in the weather space, so many natural catastrophes. But as you said, the rationale behind Descartes is really to leverage new data sources, new algorithms. So as long as we have enough confidence in the data and the models, we're happy to, uh, to launch something new and provide some capacity. There are definitely uh, some new lines of business we'll be able to launch in the next uh, few years. Because we know that sensors are becoming more and more popular. You mentioned, for example, the earthquake, and there are plenty of new sensors to calculate the peak ground acceleration. But it's also true for machinery breakdown. We're able to track many things that were not, I would say, uh, observed previously. Cyber is something that uh, is also becoming a big topic for the insurance industry. And there may be some very specific products that could also address that market. So as long as we get the data and the models and can uh, feel comfortable about the price, then we'll move forward. So we would expect to see you moving into non-natural peril businesses as well. Definitely. Definitely. It will take some time because we need the technology to be ripe enough to achieve that. But this is something that we want to do. You mentioned about earthquake there. And, and obviously, parametric insurance has been around for quite a while. But there have been problems that we had after the Tohoku earthquake. We have all that often happens with wind you have a big hurricane comes through and the old wind station gets blown over and actually breaks. And then no one can decide what was the peak wind. And you end up with problems, you know, about mm -hmm. deciding whether this parameter has been exceeded or not. Do you think the technology now is advancing so much mm. that that problem is going to be solved? Definitely. So you mentioned different examples uh, about earthquake, about cyclone. Typically, for satellite imagery, we can capture the height of the cyclone very precisely, the wind speed at location. So you can combine, of course, satellite imagery with local sensors. But definitely, compared to 10 years ago, our ability to be more precise than human beings, both for underwriting and for, I would say, um, claim handling through algorithms, is becoming obvious. So if you take wildfires, if you have to send like 50 loss adjusters to assess the damage after a big wildfire in California or in Australia, uh, it will take ages and it will be much quicker and much more precise for satellites 
because you will be able to get data points with a granularity of 10 meters. So it will be uh, much better than uh, with people on the ground. And it will be also um, well managed through um, what we call artificial intelligence. In that specific case, it means that we are using neural networks to identify, for example, rivers, natural forests, roads. And then we're able to say if a tree is burnt or not burnt. So, uh, and we can even assess the salvage ratio. So definitely, depending on the line of business, depending on the, the geography, I expect parametric insurance to lead to a lower basis risk than traditional insurance, which is something that um, was probably not intuitive 10 or 15 years ago. But technology is definitely catching up. And uh, yeah, we are quite uh, optimistic about the product features we'll be able to create in the near future. Sounds quite interesting, though, that you're almost describing indemnity insurance you know, and an adjuster being on the ground, because obviously you have satellite imagery is so much more sophisticated than it has been. Mm. And of course, the coverage is becoming almost mm. completely global anywhere, even the most remote areas of the world can be covered now. Yes. It almost sounds like, do you think you could become an indemnity insurer? Because you can be so comfortable that you don't have to worry about parameters. You say, I'll insure you for fire. For us, uh, again, what matters is uh, the product features. We want our clients and our brokers to be happy with the claim experience. We want them to be happy with the price. If we have to offer from time to time indemnity insurance covers because we think it's the best way to go, I think in the middle term, this is something that we will definitely uh, offer. But we don't want to, um, I would say, to offer non-tech-driven products. So if you're talking about a, a very complex claim settlement, if you're talking about a quite expensive cover with no transparency on the payout, for example, if there are many exclusions or many things that are quite uncertain in the contract, it's something that we won't do. We want to keep, again, something tech-driven, speedy, and, of course, transparent. And what do you think your when you were getting that round of investment, you've got your investors there and you're talking about, you know, pulling out your slides that say total addressable market. What sort of total addressable market were you pitching to those investors? Well, the corporate insurance market, if you really encompass all commercial risks, it's around 600 billion worldwide. Out of that market, corporate risks for natural events and other large risks is around 50 billion in the world. And we believe that this entire market is addressable by parametric insurance and data-driven insurance. We also expect this share to continue growing with the, the rise and the boom in available data and everything that can now be assessed through data. We mentioned machinery breakdown. The same can be said of many lines of business. So we expect this segment of the commercial risks market to continue expanding with the raise in available data. So there's plenty of room for you to grow. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. One other thing, when you get all this data and you can see trends in the data, are you ever tempted to project that forwards in some way? Do you think you'll ever become able to be predictive, particularly with weather data? Obviously, we're starting to understand the process by which weather is created and developed consistently. Do you think you'll ever be able to be looking in the future? I don't think we'll be able to uh, predict weather patterns in a very precise manner, but at least we'll be able to better understand the different trends. So typically, if we only use backward-looking data to price, for example, wildfire today, we know that we will face uh, big surprises. So we need basically to get some more input from physics 
So basically, to understand the soil moisture, to understand the wind speed, to understand the temperature in a specific location, to be able to model the trends in a more accurate manner. Otherwise, we will miss events that may occur in the next five or 10 years that were not observed over the last 50 years. But due to climate change, global warming, and I would say uh, all the new patterns, this is something that is becoming obvious. So definitely, we are trying to monitor in real time the sea surface temperature or many other indicators to be able to have a, a better forecast about what may happen in the next three, six, nine months uh, when we talk about cyclones, when we talk about floods or wildfires or hailstorms, things like this. You would allow that to influence your pricing? Of course. There are some risks. If we take a step back, if we look, for example, at uh, floods, heat waves, cold spells, if we look at the frequency compared to uh, 50 or 70 years ago, it has been multiplied by 400% or 500% globally. So it means that if you don't take into account this kind of trend, you may uh, completely uh, underprice the risk. In some cases, you can also overreact. As you said, we want to be uh, steady in the way we provide capacity to the market. We don't want to, uh, to run away as soon as there is a natural catastrophe, which is something that is quite common, unfortunately, in the corporate insurance market. And having this understanding of what's happening and what may happen uh, give you some comfort about how to stay calm when something uh, big happens. You just hope that your paper providers will stay calm, as calm as you are. I think as long as you can demonstrate that your team is strong and that your models are powerful, it's going to be uh, completely under control. If we look at Descartes today, so Descartes, we are 68 people as of today, but we have more than 50 people working in modeling and underwriting. And many PhDs having a, a focus on, uh, for example, uh, hailstorms, having a focus on uh, floods or cyclones. We have one of the largest teams actually in our space in the world. We have a team that is definitely larger than many global insurers uh, when we talk about the top 10 huh, players. And we expect to be well above 100 people by the end of the year. So in terms of um, just the size of the team, uh, we will be one of the top three players in the NatCat space in terms of expertise and modeling skills. Wow, that's very impressive. I was going to ask you, obviously, there are lots of players in the parametric space. What's your USP? Is it size, the fact that you can, you've got the capacity to look at all sorts of perils and deals in all sorts of locations and actually service those brokers and those big clients? Well, in a sense, it is size since we can offer up to $200 million per contract. So it's among the largest capacities in the market. It's also the fact that thanks to our very strong and large team, we're able to model the full range of natural events and to always adjust to the client's needs, to the structure that makes most sense for them and to their budget. So in that sense, we are all very much business focused and client focused and have the capacity to always design the best possible structures for uh, all corporates. Yes, because apart from that financial capacity, it's that physical capacity to turn around inquiries and turn them into quotes, yeah? Turn them around in a relevant manner that's always bespoke, tailor-made and uh, transparent to our clients. So when people think of Descartes, they should think that you have the scale and the ability to turn things around and you could do it almost anywhere in the world with almost any peril. Yes, absolutely. So today we write risks on all five continents. We have offices in North America, 
in London, in Sydney, Singapore, in Europe. We are opening a hub for Latin America. We are opening new hubs in Asia, new hubs in Europe. So yes, we can be close to our brokers anywhere in the world. And for us, it's really paramount to not just have one team in the world centralizing all those deals, but to really have a decentralized approach where we can be close to each broker, each client, understand each market specificity and uh, each perils in each region. In terms of parameters, you seem fairly agnostic. Are there any perils that you think you shouldn't touch or that aren't suitable for parametric insurance? Definitely, when we think that we can't model properly because we lack data, this is something that we won't do. Liability is a challenging line of business. We know that uh, there are plenty of exclusions, and this is not at all uh, the way we want to sell uh, insurance products. But maybe for some, uh, I would say, products, product recall or whatever, there may be from time to time enough, uh, I would say, data sources to be able to consider a parametric product. But I don't expect this to happen anytime soon. I think it's more parametric insurance in three, four, five years. This is something that we will, of course, investigate. But liability and exclusions is something that uh, is very, very tough to do. So much more the P of P and C, the property. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. I congratulate you on being such fantastic entrepreneurs to build this global network, assembled a huge array of intellectual property. What sort of entrepreneurs are you? We can see you are very capable ones, obviously. But do you have, for example, some sort of exit plan in your mind? Are you the sort of entrepreneur who loves to build something and then leave someone else to go and run it because it, actually you don't like doing operations? Or are you the sort of entrepreneur who wants to build something and make a lasting impression and commit 20, 30 years and almost have your name above the door metaphorically? We all know that the insurance sector is a long-term game. This is not something that you can do in a couple of years. So Descartes is only three years old. I think to build a big and global Descartes, it will take probably uh, 10 more years at least. So uh, we are definitely here to build something new, something innovative, something tech-driven, and it won't happen in just one day. So the traction is very good. I would say the market is welcoming new players. That's great news. So we do not plan to change, I would say, our ambition uh, anytime soon. And definitely, uh, we expect Descartes to be around in the next 10 years or more than that. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Tongi and Violaine. Unless you've got something more to add, I think I've run through all my questions. And I think you've given us a very big picture of what this is all about. The only other thing I'd ask is, how far do you think we can go with this? You know, you're very much focused on commercial. There are parametric players that are looking at selling to the personal lines market. Do you think, would you rule that out? Or is it you've got such an opportunity in commercial for the moment that that's enough? We know it's a very appealing market too. There are plenty of very nice innovations in the personal lines space, but we only have one life. So it's difficult, I would say, to innovate in the corporate segment and be distracted by other segments. So um, at least in the next uh, three, five years, I think our focus will remain in the commercial lines market. But again, some of our clients, sometimes large corporations, may ask for a, a B2B2C cover. So uh, us being able to partner with them to be able to offer something to their end clients. And I think we would be definitely open to that as long as, uh, again, the product is new, innovative and appealing to customers. But this is not our main priority. And uh, I would say the, the workload is already uh, quite uh, substantial. 
Okay, well, that's illustrative. And thank you very much for giving us the time, Tongi and Violen. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. It was a pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. Produced in association with Advantage Go. Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. <laughs> <laughs>